Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Week number two in the NFL underway with a Thursday nighter. A good one going on right now. An arrowhead between the Chargers and the Chiefs. But of course, closer to home. A lot of eyes are going to be focused on MetLife Stadium come Sunday. That'll be the home opener for the New York football Giants as they look to go 2-0. and How about that? 2-0 and as they welcome in the Carolina Panthers. And we know someone who will be taking it all in, of course, our pal who covers them for ESPN. It is our pal Jordan Renan who joins us here on 98.7 ESPN. Jordan, how was the Music City first and foremost? Yeah, you know, that's a good place. It's just a fun little town for sure. They in they enjoyed it. And I'll say this. Yeah. Giants fans showed out. There were Giants fans everywhere on on you know Broadway over there. That little the little bar strip for sure. That was one of the most uh giant filled road trip I've seen in a while. It's been it's been a few years. Granted, you know, COVID was a big part of that. Sure. Since you've seen a giant contingent travel like that for a game. It was was a lot of fun down there, for sure. I think there was a lot of things, right? I mean, it's early in the season, so the weather's still going to be nice. You have the fact that Nashville's a fun place, which we just talked about. And, you know, a little bit of of intrigue in this new regime. How are they going to look first time out? And i got to be honest with you. Once we got the injury report and we found out that, you know, the edge guys weren't playing, and I I just thought it was going to be a horrible matchup for them in that game. Uh, pleasantly, yeah. pleasantly surprised that they pulled that one off. That was incredible. Yeah, that was a great win for them. And I think, I mean, you watch the first half, and you uh, and like uh, you know, people probably forget this now, but I know Giant fans are watching that first half, going like, "Yep, nothing changed. No, nope. the same as it was before." Right? Daniel Jones is under ridiculous pressure. He's getting hit, sacked left and right, and they got shut out. But I think what the difference that we saw is and this is kind of what we mentioned last time we spoke that offensively and coaching wise, they'll, they can scheme up and create enough offense with their offensive coaches, right? With Brian Dable, with Mike Kafka. And that's what you saw. You saw them going in halftime, make adjustments, say, okay, we got to rely on this ground game. We have a better run blocking team than pass blocking team. That's sort of what also what kind of what we expected there. And that really showed to be true. And they kind of, you know, got back in the game to Saquon Barkley in the run game, and they were able to hit a big pass off that and then make a big drive when they needed it at the end. I think the Saquon Barkley 68-yard run in that early in the third quarter, that was the turning point in the game, Jordan. I really and truly think it was because because that play totally went against what you just said, and you're right. You know, it was you always thinking same old Giants after watching that first half. That changed the tenor of the entire conversation. Yeah, you know, if you're Tennessee on the flip side, they're they're banging their heads and killing themselves over like you know we should have buried that team in the first half, and they should have, and they didn't. They let him hang, and it set up the stage. Okay, the Giants win and they're down. Okay, we're down thirteen nothing, but it's still two scores, and then they get the quick score basically off that big run by Saquon, and now look, they're within one score, and they hit one big play off that. And next thing you know, they're winning, and it was like whoa, holy cow, they're winning. I think everyone was kind of in that. 
that same mode, like when they took that lead 14-13 off. So actually, they didn't take the lead, right? They tied right. it to the extra point the well, first time. But when they tied it, you're like, oh, my God, this is a game all of a sudden. This is a real game. And, and, and it turned out to be that for sure. And, and then, obviously, you know, you're able to get to, you see a more aggressive approach. And this, this is what, you know, I think gives you optimism. The more aggressive approach, the ability to make the adjustments at halftime, and they go for two in the, to win the game rather than be super conservative there, go for the tie and say, okay, we'll try to win it later on. You know what I'm curious, and I wonder if you spoke to any guys in the locker room this week about it. We all know that it was an aggressive move, and it turned out to be a genius move because they got the two-point conversion, right? I mean, if, if it doesn't work, maybe he's not as praised as much. But I wonder, did you yeah. talk to any players, Jordan, and say, well, what happens if you didn't convert the two-point conversion? Was that still yeah. an uplifting, confidence-building decision, let's say, even if it didn't work out from Dayball? Yeah, first of all, I, I when you talk to players, and I, I had this conversation with guys, like, yeah, well, you know, you think it would have been different, like, if, you know, you didn't make it, and they're like, no, we're behind it anyway. Guys want to win. They don't really care. They, they're they all for aggression. Like, when you, you ever see a player be like, no, 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 we shouldn't go for this fourth down, we should punt. Yeah. You know, the offensive players, <laughs> you, ever, you ever see them be like, no, 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 I think we should punt here, you know, coach. Let, let, come on, we're coming off the field. No, they always want to go for it. They always want to be aggressive. I mean, you always – they're of the mindset, and this is kind of how you have to play, that they're always going to convert, right? Like, that's just the mindset that they have. And if they don't make it, they're like, well, we didn't, we didn't execute. So I think that's how they would have looked. I mean, Xavier McKinney flat out said, no, nah, we were behind it 100%. And, like, I, it didn't matter. And that's why when he went, he went to them and asked them on the sideline, a bunch of the defensive players, and even some of the offensive players went there. He said, should we go for it? And their answer was, F yeah. What did you think of Daniel Jones's performance? I know you look at the box score, it looks pretty good, but, you know, five sacks, you could say they weren't all his fault, of course, here, but, you know, what type of grade would you give Daniel Jones in week one? Well, there was the one pass, right? Right, that was in the end zone. Interception, and and that was a costly one. It was an interception. Uh, but there's really not another one where you can go say, oh, he, got the, he, did a, he threw a terrible pass. That was really his only bad pass of the game. Like you, I mean, I, I was trying to think of it the other day. I was doing over a bunch of the plays. Lost a fumble and in the first quarter, too. Or fumbled, I should say. He didn't was, lose it, but he, he fumbled again. The guard, got, the guard didn't touch the defender. He beat him straight out and hit him in 2.7 seconds from behind. Yeah. I even had – I was talking to Davis Webb today, and he's like, if you could find a solution for that, you should tell, you should tell us somebody. Like, tell us. Like, we want to know. Like, as a quarterback, like, what the heck you want us to do there? Like, Less than three seconds getting hit from behind when his arm is cocked. Like, I don't know what I don't know what you want him to do there. I, I don't. Do you know? Here's the thing with Daniel Jones. The interception was terrible, and it would, would have, could have proven to be very costly. And for that reason, I would probably give him a B minus. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was pressured on 18 of 26 dropbacks. Do you understand how ridiculous the number that is? They couldn't pass protect. It kind of gets hidden because. The second half was they just played so much better. But, like, 18 to 20, if there isn't a quarterback out there who can you know, consistently be successful if you're getting pressured on almost 70% of your dropback. It, it really is. I mean, you're not going to. They could not block Jeffrey Simmons in the first half. So, I think he was all right. The, the one, I mean, the, the problem is that that turnover kind of just reinforces what you kind of were worried about in the first place. Right. Right. The turnovers is the one thing that really bothers you that you say he's got to cut down on. He had cut down on in recent years, but 
that one was just a bad one, and it was at a key time and a bad time. So that that kind of muddies what probably was a pretty good day for him. I mean, that first half was rough. You go watch back that first half, the pressure was, I mean, relentless, especially up the middle. Like the, the, their left guard situation between Azudu and uh, the rookie Josh Azudu and uh, Ben Bredesen, you know, they were they were they were having a really hard time pass protecting on the, in, in the middle of the line. Talking with Jordan Renan here on 98.7 ESPN. And, you know, he scored. He got his team in the end zone a couple of times, walked off the field a winner. Generally, you're going to get passing grades on a lot of days, and and that's good enough for me. Yeah, probably... what do you, you, sound, you sounded like you were in debt. You, you, were, you thought less of how he played. Am I, am I right about it, that? I'm curious I, why. Well, it, it's, it, it's not that I thought less of how he played. Like I said, at the end of the day, scored points, got his team home a winner. It's just that, you know what? Sometimes an interception like that, the bad pick, especially in the end zone, those almost count for double, Jordan. Sometimes you're going to walk off the field and not be able to overcome those. You know what I mean? And that's the, and in the red zone, that has been an oh issue for him last couple of years, and that's just the troubling thing. That's all. Yeah, I mean, the pro, the, what bothered me about that play is the, he, was, he obviously saw something pre-snap where he was, okay, this is the matchup I want. I'm trying to go to Saquon. And he just stared it down and just did not get off it. Like, the, the you know, it, it, you saw where the ball was going, and it clearly wasn't there. I mean, it was the, the, the defender was behind Saquon just sitting there waiting in like almost like a zone-type spot. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that bothered me, the, the part where he just stared it down and didn't get off of it. The Kadarius Tony, he spoke a couple of days ago. He said he didn't care the fact he only played seven snaps. He's worrying about winning. And I like the fact that Brian Dayball basically saying, hey, you know what? He wasn't really available much in the offseason. We want guys to go out there and earn it. That's how playing time is going to be distributed. I like that from the coach, but do you expect him to get a few more reps on Sunday? Well, he showed up on the injury report today with a hamstring injury, and that's something he's been, you know, he was dealing with for a few weeks. So you thought he was in the clear. He said he was fine yesterday when he talked. I think it was yesterday. Or when, yeah, yesterday. I'm trying to, I'm confused on days at this point. With we, all of the week. we all are. We all are. <laughs> but yeah, no, he talked on Wednesday, so that's yesterday. Uh, I, here's what I understand about the situation, okay? And I talked to a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of people this week about it. He hasn't been on the practice field a lot, and if you're not on the practice field, you know you're you're not like this is an offense that takes time. It takes time to learn. It takes time to have that rhythm down. And he really hasn't. He didn't play in the spring. He was dealing. He was had a, coming off a knee procedure. He. He didn't play for a chunk of the summer. He was dealing with a hamstring problem. Uh, so he doesn't have that practice time. He hasn't had that experience of learning the offense. And until he does, like, they're not just going to put him out there and have him run, you know, 40 plays and say, hey, you got to learn this whole package. So they're going to, you know, sort of limit it and say, here's a package. We're going to use you in these specific packages. Let's say there's 25 plays. Now, who knows how many they get to in a game. I expect it to increase as we go along here, barring that hamstring injury, you know, really affecting him. But, you know, it's going to be a slow progression. Uh, and it's not just going to be Kadarius Tony. Okay, you're, this was like a one-game thing. You're fine now. Let's throw him back in there. He's going to play 40 snaps. Like, no, he's going to have to get on the practice field, stay on the practice field, earn it. And then as he picks up more and more, uh, you'll see him play more and more. And I think it, eventually it will happen. He's their most talented receiver. You could see that when he t- touched the ball in those two times that he did get it. That, But it's going to be a little progression here before he really ramps up. In the meantime, 
you're going to see a rotation, and you're going to see Richie James in Wondell Robinson's spot <laughs> and not Kadarius Tony. How about the rest of the guys as far as the health report goes for Sunday? I mean, I saw the edge guys. They were both limited today, right? Thibodeau thinks that he's going to play. What do you think about Ojolari and Kayvon, their chances of getting out there specifically? Yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to tell because it's like a new regime, so like how they do things. I mean, we saw Kayvon Thibodeau. Like he, they said he played in team drills now that we were not allowed to stay out there and watch team drills. But, uh, yeah, he was a limited participant. When we were there, he was simply riding the bike. So, it doesn't look like – he's not doing everything, that's for sure. So, he's still somewhat limited, you know, throughout practice. And that makes you wonder, is it really worth putting him out there, Kayvon Thibodeau, the fifth pick, if he's limited throughout the week or if he's not really 100%? To me, it would almost make more sense to hold him out one more, one more week, right? Yeah. Yeah week of practice be a full participant in practice before i want to put my fifth overall pick out there in the second game of the season but that's just me uh i think there's a chance he plays ojalari also outside chance but again like it's early in the season do we really want to risk these guys ojalari's another young player cast tough injuries i don't know so i'm like 50 50 on both of them right now let's let's see what happens tomorrow let's see if they go out there and have a full practice but if they don't have a full practice i wouldn't put either of them out there Right. Yeah. Long season. If they can't go out there and practice in full. It's the second game of the year. You're R one and zero. Like, uh, but even if you weren't one and zero, like you have to take a long range view. In my point with them and uh, play it on the cautious side. So I'm a little hesitant to say I'm. I expect either of them to play on Sunday. And you get the extra day next week too because it's a Monday night game. So then you say, hey, rest right, up. Exactly. You get the extra day. So you never know that. That's maybe how they look at it here. Talking Giants with Jordan Renan on ninety eight seven ESPN. All right, with Carolina coming in. I mean, we only have one game to work off of, but everybody who saw it knows the Cleveland ran the ball right down their throats all afternoon here. You would like to think that that bodes yeah. well for our friend Saquon Barkley, that he could pick up right where he left off last week in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, that's how, this is a super fast defense. Like, how, So the only way to have success against them is to pound them physically, right? And when I was talking to Chris Canty about, okay, you know, what did you like best about that game? That's sort of what he pointed out to me. He thought they were really physical, the Giants, on both sides of the line. That's kind of what stood out to him. And Chris Candy knows more about line play than me. You sure. Know, you know, put together t- times 10. So, you know, w- when you say that, you say, okay, well, that seems to be what might work here, right? That that should be a big part of the game plan. But this is today's NFL, and nobody runs the ball 60 70% of the time. That's, like, out of the question. You're going to have to make big plays in the pass game, and they're going to have to be able to pass protect at some point. But, yeah, I, I do think – the, the the path to a Giants victory involves a lot of Saquon Barkley again. And I would think from on the other side of the ball, if you look at the Giant defense, I would like to think, even though I don't know, you know, coaches like to outsmart themselves, Christian McCaffrey yeah. only got 14 touches last week in that game for the Panthers. I mean, you he's, know, he's the bell You know cow. who their coordinator is, right? Yeah, of course. And so that is something that is um, mighty interesting, and that is a storyline, of course. But you yeah, would like to think that McCaffrey – What's that? Ben McAdoo. Of course. Coming back. Ben Ma- it's, it's the Ben McAdoo Bowl. But you would think that you're going to see a heavy dose of Christian McCaffrey after only he touched the ball 14 times last week, right? I mean, I mean, unless they're really that stupid. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the obvious. Uh, now, from what I was told, uh, or when I was talking to our Panthers reporter, like, they have some things in Carolina where they're – 
looking at, okay, what's, uh, what's the best way for us to keep Christian McCaffrey healthy for the long term? And I do think that involves limiting his touches early in the year and not, if they don't want him to touch the ball, what, 300 times or whatever it is, whatever, I don't know, whatever the, the arbitrary number that they probably came up with or that analytics said is like, all right, what's the highest percentage of carries that we can, or touches really is probably the right word, especially for him with his receiving ability to keep him healthy. So I'm interested to see. I would think in some way, though, like you said, I mean, you got to get him the ball more than that. Have to. And I expect him to do that. But I don't think they're just going to, okay, he's going to play 80%, 90% of the snaps and get 30 touches. Like, I don't think that's what they're trying to do to keep him healthy long term. So it, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see because what did, what did the Tennessee Titans do against the Giants? Okay, they got their running back against the Giants inside linebackers who are definitely a concern of this defense. And Dontrell Hilliard, who had two touchdown receptions. You know how many he had coming in, Dan, yeah, in his z- career? Zero? Yeah, zero. Yeah. Exactly. Big goose egg. Oh, and that's, Don- that's Dontrell Hilliard. This is Christian McCaffrey. So what do you think about that matchup? If you're, if you're Ben McAdoo, shouldn't you be circling that one saying, okay, we need this guy on those guys? Yeah. You, you know what else the Tennessee Titans did? On a fourth and one, their offensive coordinator had a brain fart and decided, let's not give the ball to uh, yeah. Derrick Henry, the biggest back in the league. Let's call a tight end end around. That should work out yeah, well. That'll that fool them. Great. I mean, like that's yeah. why you can't trust that team. You really can't. How about this also? Yeah. I thought it was asinine and it kind of flew under the radar. The way Mike Vrabel handled the last 18 seconds. They, they lost the game by bonkers. blowing that timeout. They, they called a timeout. With eight ass off the play where they went out of bounds, you run Derrick Henry, you gain more yards. You don't settle for a forty. First of all, they had a forty-five yard field. They lost yards to yep. make it even longer. They so, were celebrating I mean, the after that catch, thinking the game was over. Yards. I thought the game was over. I thought you run Derrick Henry once. You go first of all, they go out of bounds. You run Derrick Henry once, get your five six yards, and then kick a forty-yard field, a thirty-nine-yard field. They called timeout off being out of bounds, intentionally lost yards, and kicked a 47 yard. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. They, Tannehill didn't get back into the huddle until there was 10 seconds left on the play clock after that completion, because I went back and watched it a few times just to confirm. They were they were celebrating and high-fiving, thinking they had the game won, and they didn't realize that, hey, we got to still run another play here. Um, last thing. So one game under your belt. And, you know, real yeah. quick, you know, what, you know what that reminded me of? Huh. You'll, you'll, you'll know this reference. When Herm Edwards against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship oh. game kind of did the same oh. thing. And mm. they went and he took a loss in order to take a longer yep. field. Granted, that was a really tough place to kick that, you know, in Heinz Field. And you, you, I'm pretty sure you know what happened yeah. there. Doug Bryan. Doug never misses until he missed both in the fourth quarter and overtime in that game. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've also, there's a lot of other stories that have, you know, history and kind of legendary stories that have been tied into that one as to how it all went down, but I haven't been able to confirm any of them. But let me ask you this. We'll close on this one. 1-0 one Giants. Okay, they win a game that not too many people expected them to win. We talked about how that schedule, the first included. 10. Right. Me too. You talk about the games, the first 10 in that schedule, where there were a few that you looked at and said, okay, those are winnable games. Now you got Dak Prescott down for a month, a month and a half. Do you look maybe at this schedule a little bit differently even now than maybe you thought before Sunday's game kicked off? Okay, so shameless plug, Breaking Big Blue. I talked about this on there. Breaking Big Blue, get the podcast. Yeah. Do we we change expectations, right, because – they won the opener. Now they have 
three very winnable games at home. You're talking Carolina, Dallas with Cooper Rush as the quarterback, and then Chicago. So what I said there is I don't think we should change the expectations just yet. But if they win on Sunday and they're sitting at 2-0 and with home games against Dallas with Cooper Rush and the Chicago Bears, the likelihood is they should definitely end up at 3-1, and right? It would be a disappointment, a real big disappointment if they weren't. If they weren't at least three and one at the point. So if they win this game, in my opinion, then maybe we have to sort of recalibrate expectations. Say, you know what? Maybe, may, just maybe, the schedule worked out. We we have enough going in the right direction that you know the playoffs is is a possibility. Now I don't expect them to be a top seed in the NFC or whatever you want to come. You know we want to come up with whatever optimism you you want to you know you know imagine you know, pretend that it's possible, but. You know, making the playoffs, you know, be take, getting a wild card. You know, when Buffalo first, you know, when, when uh, Brandon Bean took over and Joe Shane came eventually and Brian Dable came eventually also, that first year under Sean McDermott, they were like a 9-7 and seven mediocre team that snuck into the playoffs with the right schedule and just the way everything turned out. They weren't great. They, they basically still were drafted their quarterback the next year and were still starting over in their rebuilding plan. But they scrapped it together in the first year. I think if they win this week, that's – that that becomes a possibility, that kind of season. Dangerous game, though, still, considering they're still the Giants. They're still a team nobody expected much from. It's a young oh, yeah. group. That's why, I mean, that, just careful is the message I would send to Giant fans who are maybe a little giddy after that win. Careful about Sunday. I would say this. I think Carolina's, like, overall talent-wise and roster has a better roster than the Giants. They might. I think they do. I do. I, 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 I wouldn't disagree with you. They had the number two ranked, de- they had the number two ranked defense last year in the NFL. They're not awful, but they'd also need to get number 22 involved on the offense because that completely changes things. Completely changes things. When yeah. he's on the field versus when he's not on the field, it's, it's completely different. We saw it last year. They started 3-0, and then he got hurt, and then the season went down the tubes. Yep. It yep. all happened. You know what this was disappointing? What was disappointing about them was that they actually took the lead late in the game. They went and they allowed Jacoby Brissett to go down the yep. field and win the game. Well, he lost a 58 yard field goal. Yeah, that, that's part of it. But still, I mean – I was I was watching it with like from the corner of my eye, and I, I thought they kind of had won the game, and that there was no way Jacoby Brissett was going to get well, them in any kind of field goal range, and he did. Well, it's ironic because the NFL did us a favor because that game is the only one you need to watch to scout ahead for both the New York teams because the Jets are playing Cleveland, Giants are playing Carolina, so you watch that game. Um, <laughs> Giant defenders are probably salivating. Now, they don't have a, a Miles Garrett, but Cleveland beat them up up front from a defensive standpoint. Right. Beat them up. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a revamped offensive line that they have that is very that's vulnerable that's going to be vulnerable early in the season for sure. I mean, Pat Elf Pat Elfline some way somehow has been a starting guard for them for the last 2 years. He was a guy that was like a, <laughs> the Jets picked him up off the scrap heap in 2019 and then let him walk. And he's been a star in 2020 whatever and he started the last 2 years for Carolina. I mean, you can't make this yeah. stuff up anyway. Uh Jordan, you wonder why their offensive line has been a liability, uh, right? Tell me about it. And that's why they've gone through all these quarterbacks too. Um Enjoy East Rutherford Sunday. It's not as glamorous as Nashville, we know, but I think you'll find a way to make the best of it. You know what? It's going to be a fun atmosphere there. You, I, I do sense a different sort of uh, feeling about that Giant fans have. Like, for the first time in a while, there's, like, true optimism. I, I really I really do feel that. For the first time, probably since that first Daniel, like, after Daniel Jones' first start, like, this is the first time that I feel like that fan, this fan base has that feeling. 
It's gonna be it's gonna be rocking. It should be a fun one indeed. Uh, thanks for a couple as always, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, sounds good, man. Be good. Jordan Renan covers the Giants for ESPN. Good conversation. And again, you know, Giant fans, be giddy, but be careful. Tread lightly. That is the message. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And as we were talking about with the environment on Sunday, did you hear what the Giant defensive coordinator had to say about that environment coming up this weekend? We'll share that with you. Dan Gross, show till 10, 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. This kind, You know what this reminds me of a little bit with the Giants for this week? It kind of reminds me back to the Jets when Sam Darnold was a rookie in 2018. Giants won, or the Jets won, remember, Darnold's game in Detroit, that Monday nighter, riding high, all this optimism, found their franchise quarterback, all those things. Remember, it was like a blowout win that night in Detroit. Then they come back home for week two, much like the Giants, for the home opener against the Dolphins. And the place was crazy. All this optimism. And they laid an egg. And they lost to Adam Gase's Dolphins. You know, that wasn't even a great Dolphin team. But they played sloppy. They didn't execute. And Miami beat them. And I could almost see the same thing kind of happening on Sunday with the Giants. Right? I mean, Carolina's not a great team by any stretch. But as you heard Jordan and I talk about, like, they, you know, they took the over. Right? I mean, they've got talent. They have guys that could beat you. And McCaffrey, getting McCaffrey, the problem with McCaffrey is it's been a while. Right? Like, when was the last time this guy was actually, like, healthy enough and contributing for a full season? But when he is healthy and when he's on the field, he's one of the top playmakers in the NFL. And I would be stunned if they don't feed him the rock consistently on Sunday afternoon because they barely got him involved in that game on Sunday, which to me is like, 
malpractice if you're talking about coaching and dialing up an offense. So Wink Martindale's the new defensive coordinator, and he had a message today for Giant fans when he was meeting with the media about what he'd like to see come Sunday. I know we're talking about, you know, changing the culture and changing the culture uh, defensively. Uh, this this is one of the biggest changes you'll see is this week to bring back great defense in this facility. And I've only lived here for a short period of time, but I know New Yorkers are loud. And we need to be loud in that stadium. They have to go on silent count. If you want to be part of changing this, this culture here uh, with the Giants, be loud. All right? And have that place rocking where people don't want to come to our stadium. Okay? We'll take care of the rest. All right? And we'll give you something to be loud about. But just be loud. And I can't wait to see it. I think he's right. You know, like if you're a Giant fan, you know, how can you take ex- uh, exception with that message? I think he's spot on, to be quite honest with you. Spot on. Because now is the time where you want to capitalize. You know, you want to maybe change the expectations. I know that a lot wasn't expected of the Giants this year. I get all that stuff. But you know what? Things change once you start actually playing these games for real. And as we were just talking about with Jordan, I mean, look at the schedule. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but Carolina, Dallas, and Chicago all at home in the next three weeks. That Dallas game now looks extremely more winnable than it did before the season started because you're going to have Cooper Rush at quarterback and not Dak Prescott. You know, the Bears. Bears are not very good. Despite the fact they won in week one, they're not good. I think the Bears are going to get absolutely... Absolutely smoked on Sunday night in Green Bay. The Bears, I mean, if you're going to, if you could put like every last thing that you own on a game this week, I think it would be Packers-Bears on Sunday night. There's your lock. A little bit of a tease, a little bit of a hint. You're going to have, by the way, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow morning and listen to the show to get the picks for the week. We're not going to do picks tonight. Not enough time. So 10 a.m. tomorrow, remember, 10 a.m. to noon for Greeny. That's when we're going to be on, not our normal time. Um... Bears are walking into a buzzsaw. Remember, the Packers played crappy. And the Packers did the same thing last year. They, they, they lost to the Saints in week one, like 35-3 to three or something. People were saying, Rodgers, you know, he shouldn't have been away all offseason, blah, blah, blah. They turned it around in a hurry. And I think that's going to happen this week. You know, they were less than ideal against Minnesota. They're going to come home on Sunday night and, and destroy the Bears. I think if that game last week in Chicago was not played in a monsoon, the Niners would have beat Chicago. And by the way, how about this? San Francisco, they got the home opener this week against Seattle. That's also supposed to be played in, like, pouring rain. I I mean, that is a rough stretch. So here you are, Trey Lance. You're trying to make it as an NFL quarterback, right? Trying to establish yourself. And the first two games that you're going to play this year are potentially in a monsoon. Not ideal. Not ideal. You know, I um, I mentioned to Greg when we had him on, about Garrett Wilson. And and there were a few of you guys that called me already this week talking about why doesn't he get more snaps? Why doesn't he get more playing time? Right? He was only in, I forgot what the exact number was, like 40-something for the Jets in week one. But when he had the ball in his hands, he was electric. He was making plays. And, you know, he should be out there more. I agree. Mike LaFleur, who's the offensive coordinator of the Jets, He was asked about that specifically when he met the media earlier this afternoon, and this was his response as to why Garrett Wilson didn't get more reps in week number one. 
for Garrett, you know, we, we can see how dynamic he is in the past game. He, he's um, an awesome guy to coach. It's just going to be, you know, he, he's not going to be just at one position. He's got to be at our F position. He's got to be at our Z and just him be able to operate every single play, not just the pass plays where he knows he's getting the ball, but but also, you know, when uh, we're running the ball, when he's running the fake jet sweeps and stuff like that, that operation needs to get to 100% and, uh, and he knows that. All right, so what stood out to me about that more than anything was he was mentioning the other wide receiver positions that he has to learn, that he has to master, that he has to grasp. Haven't we heard this before, right? Haven't we heard this before about a young wide receiver with the Jets? In fact, it was just last year, and it was Denzel Mims. Why wasn't Denzel Mims on the field? Why had Denzel Mims fallen down the depth chart? And they had spoken about he had to learn the playbook a little bit better. They wanted him to have more of a grasp as to every responsibility that a wide receiver could have on the field, depending on where you're playing. You're playing outside, you're playing inside, and and so on. You know, the X, the Z, the Y, all that stuff. So now that it happens again, it got me thinking, like, shouldn't there come a point, though, where the goal is to get your best players on the field, right? And I'm not sitting here trying to compare Denzel Mims and Garrett Wilson specifically one-on-one as wide receivers, but what I do know in relation to this year's team, is that Garrett Wilson is one of their top wide receivers. That goes without saying. If they didn't think so, they wouldn't have drafted him 10th overall. Right? They would have taken somebody else. But if you think that he's having a hard time grasping the other positions, and maybe he doesn't have a a, a full set of it yet, shouldn't there be just maybe like a package of plays that you have him out there for, but yet you go to that well repeatedly to make sure he can play? Because I know you don't want him running the wrong route. I know that you don't want his timing to be off with the quarterback and so on and so forth because that could lead to a turnover. It could lead to a mistake, and then that doesn't do anybody any good. But talent is the name of the game. And it is going to take playmakers that are ultimately going to win you and lose you games. And it's just... History repeating itself again in a short amount of time, and that's what has me scratching my head. And especially for a team that's been void of talent for a really, really long time, now you have guys that are talented and can play? Shouldn't you get them out on the field? And maybe is this something that they have to alter in terms of their approach? And after all, remember, Mike LaFleur was a guy last year who took those shots during camp at Mekhi Becton when he was having a hard time, when he was getting beat up by Carl Lawson and company in training camp. This was before he got hurt, of course. But, you know, had some pretty direct things to say about Becton. Now he's coming out today and saying that, you know, Garrett Wilson needs to do a better job of mastering the playbook and and so on and so forth. I don't know how that makes me feel if I'm Robert Sala, because guess who it's all going to come back to? It's going to come back to Sala tomorrow morning. I guarantee you. When he has his press conference, and I, I forgot off the top of my head like what time it is, those are going to be questions that he's going to ask or get asked. Hey, yesterday Mike LaFleur said that, you know, Garrett doesn't know the playbook inside and out like he should. Is that what's holding him back? And, you know, d- did you get that sense before Sunday that was something that was going to be a problem for him? And I'm curious to see what the response is. Because all I know is that the Jet offense is better when Garrett Wilson is out there. Right? You don't have to be a football genius to figure that one out. That's pretty cut and dry. 800-919-3776 is the telephone number. We come back, we'll take a couple of phone calls, and also, greatest tennis player of all time calls it a career. Some thoughts on Mr. Federer when we return. Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. 
With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, second half has just kicked off in the Thursday night game. It's 10-7 in favor of the Chargers over the Kansas City Chiefs. Mets have a comfortable lead. When was the last time we could say that? 6-1 to one over the Pirates. They uh, are in the going to the eighth inning at City Field, so six outs away before the Mets can get that lead back up to a full game on the Braves. Remember, the, Bre- the Mets have played two more games than the Braves. They will have played two more games, and they're still even in the loss column. That's something to keep in mind as we move on forward here. Before we get back to the calls, though, and, and, and I understand and I understand that, you know, tennis, for example, is not as popular as the sports we usually – we don't talk much tennis, certainly. In New York City, nobody does. But I'm one of the few who can actually sit here and talk tennis legitimately because I'm a huge tennis fan. But Roger Federer hanging up the racket today and calling it a career, it's not all that surprising because he hasn't played since Wimbledon of 2021, and he's had multiple knee surgeries. And it's ironic because this is a guy who was as effortless and as sublime on the tennis court as any person probably who's ever played. This is a guy who rarely broke a sweat on the tennis court. It was like James Bond playing tennis. He could play tennis in a tuxedo, it seemed like. That's how effortless and gifted that he was and really did it like no other has done it before in in the game. And, you know, when I saw it this morning, it kind of like hit me because I wasn't expecting it. You know, the goal was that he was going to return to the court in October and play um, in his hometown of Basel, Switzerland. There's a tournament and he was going to make his return there and he was going to play at the Laver Cup, which is like kind of like a 
you know, a European players versus the world type of tournament, a little bit like Davis Cup is, and, and he has a big hand in the creation of the Laver Cup, not the Don Lever Cup, like Don said earlier today. And that's in London, and that's actually next week. So coinciding with the announcement, he's going to play the Laver Cup, and then that's going to be it. No more tennis, no more Grand Slams, and just, you know, I know he hasn't been around much the last few years because finally the body took its toll on him. But there's, he's the greatest of all time. I, I know that Nadal and Djokovic have um, passed him in terms of grand slams, but nobody played tennis like him. And just the unbelievable stretches of consistency, consistent excellence is the word. And I tweeted this out earlier today, too. Like some of the numbers are just, they're hard to fathom when you think about what he was able to do. For those that don't know tennis, there's four grand slams in a year. In the calendar year. There's the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. And we just finished the U.S. Open, of course, last week. So there's four a year. He made 10 consecutive Grand Slam final appearances or better. So he either made the finals or won 10 consecutive slams. That's, what, two and a half years in a row from 2005 to to whatever it is. And, And if you want to expand that even further, he made 18 finals or better in 19 out of 19 slams from 2005 to 2010. So 19 consecutive grand slams, he was in the finals or better or won it in 18 of those 19. That will never be topped, never. And his record of 23 consecutive grand slam semifinals or better from 2004 to 2010. Like, think about, like, you see players, great players, you know, sometimes they get upset, they lose in the first round or something like that. 23 in a row made it to the final four or better at a Grand Slam. That's like almost six years right there. That's how good he was. That's how dangerous he was. And if I go back to that finals record, the 18 finals in 19 slams, the only final he didn't make was the 2008 Australian Open where he lost to Djokovic, and that was Djokovic's, he ended up winning his first ever slam, 08 Australia. It found out afterwards that Federer had mono, and he didn't know he had mono. So and he, and he made the semifinals of a Grand Slam with mono. That doesn't get talked about as much. But just unparalleled excellence. And you always used to joke because, I mean, as of 2017, the guy won two Grand Slams. And that was after he missed some time because of a knee procedure. And he hadn't played for like six months. And he came back and he won Australia, beat Nadal in an epic five-setter. He goes on and wins Wimbledon, gets the number one ranking in the world back. I think he was 36 years of age at the time, the oldest to ever be world number one. And, you know, the old joke was, you know, father time waits for nobody except Roger Federer because he was just like defying the odds. And the thing that's, you know, remarkable about these individual sports as opposed to the team sports, golf, tennis, and whatnot, and you can't tap out. You can't ask for a substitution. You can't pass the ball to somebody else. It's you and you alone. You're standing on that service line. You're trying to hold serve. You're trying to hit a serve to win the game, to stay in the match, whatever. The nerves, the mental takes over. Can't rely on your teammate. It's just you. And with tennis being a global sport, the whole world is watching. And just the unbelievable respect that these guys have and you know, it's unbelievable if you were a fan, the era that we've been privileged to watch over the last 15 years. You're watching the three best male players of all time concurrently. 
in Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Order them however the hell you want to, but they're the three best players of all time, and we're privileged to watch each and every one of them. And Federer, out of the 1,000-plus matches, I was just reminded of this a couple of minutes ago, you know, over 1,500 singles matches never retired in a match once. Finished every match he played till the very end. Win, lose, or draw. That doesn't happen. Really, really an incredible, incredible milestone and an incredible career and probably the most popular player that's ever played the history of the game. I mean, uh, global, beloved. I mean, I don't know how many other adjectives I can use. So it's sad. It's sad when these all-time greats leave. You know, you see what, like, the Bradys have done and so on and so forth, and that's a team sport, but he's still hanging on at 45 years of age, and, you know, what he's doing, it's insane. And, you know, Federer 41, and eventually, you know, body betrayed him. That was a hell of a touchdown catch, by the way. Who was that? I didn't even see that. Mike, what is it with Mike Williams? Mike Williams, like, owns the Chiefs. Owns the Chiefs. Especially there in Arrowhead. Yeah, right. Think about it. Keenan Allen not even playing tonight. Chargers are good. I finally got on the bandwagon this year, and I picked them to win the division because I like their defense better than Kansas City. And, 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 you know, crazy as it sounds, they own the Chiefs there. They own them. They're about to win their third in a row. They got a 10-point lead down the third quarter. All right, one more time, just to remind everybody, we're not going to be here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We will be with you tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. to noon, in for Greeny. It's going to be a local show. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be called Greeny, but we're still going to do the same show we normally do for you just at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. I think Gordon and Larry are going to be in for us tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, so they'll do a great job as always. Thanks to Jordan Renan and Greg Buttle for hopping on. Thanks to Harvey Cruz. Thanks to Jacob Perry. Thanks to everybody who called and listened and tweeted. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. 